If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms. We've been going through these Psalms for a long time now. There's a lot of them. And uh, I hope you've been keeping up during all the times when we weren't having services. And if you need to go back and uh, look at some of them, you certainly can. I was uh, sitting down there and singing, and it kind of where I normally sat before all of this mess hit. And then uh, my first thought was, I hope I can make it up the stairs okay. And uh, so we got up there and got going. So, I mean, that's progress. That's a good thing. We have been uh, looking at Psalm 84. And last week, if you watched the uh, video, the live stream, we talked about worship. And I think that there are some misconceptions about worship. And sometimes we tie it to a place instead of a person. And uh, we feel like we can't really worship if we're not in the right place. And the place may be a physical lake location, like coming to church. I worship better when I'm at the church, maybe we say. It's kind of what the Jews would do when they would go to the temple. I can worship there or in the synagogue, and then they would kind of forget about it when they weren't in the, the place, the sacred space. And we're a little bit like that. And then the other thing is, I think we confuse attendance with worship. And you can attend a thousand services and hear a thousand sermons and never worship. Worship is something bigger than that, and it connects us with God. And so uh, my prayer is tonight that you and I have come because we want to connect with the Lord and we want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, there were, I think, about four things I said last week. Go back and listen to that if you need a uh, refresher. But tonight we're going to move down uh, to the uh, next section of Scripture. And we're going to look at verse 5 and go down to verse 7. And here's what the psalmist tells us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So pay attention. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Verse 6. As they pass through the valley of... Now I'm going to say this word and pronounce it probably 16 different ways while we're going through this. But I'm just going to try to say Baca, and that's probably not exactly right for Hebrew, but it'll work for us. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools, pools of water. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So, as the psalmist writes about this, when he's talking about things like pilgrimage and all of that, this is a psalm that they would think about, they would meditate on, they would pray, and that they would sing on their way to Jerusalem. And so that's what he is kind of centering in on now. Now, last week we looked at worship. This week we're going to look at worshipers. What does a worshiper look like? What is a worshiper? What are the characteristics? How, how do they appear? Because again, if all you do is attend a service, but you don't really worship, then your life is not going to be changed. And you can walk in and leave the same way you came. And none of us want that. We all want to connect with God so that His Spirit changes our life through His Word. 
And uh, we don't want to get so focused on other people and what they need to do and how they need to change. It's personally getting ourselves right with God that ought to be the main uh, object of why we come, why we sing, why we pray, why we look at the Word of God. And so the first thing that I noticed in here is that worshipers see something, or maybe we should say someone, bigger than themselves. In other words, I think that there is great benefit to gathering together, singing together, praying together, looking at the Word together, even on a Wednesday night, if it does nothing more than remind us that there is a God, there is a Creator, there is a Savior, there is someone that we're accountable to. Because we get so caught up in the pettiness of life. And I'll guarantee you, most of your frustration in life is not because of the big things that come along, but it's the little things, the petty things, the things that come up and scream for your attention. Somebody called it one time in a little booklet, The Tyranny of the Urgent. And they say, we fail to do the most important things because there are thousands of little things that scream at us, that get our attention saying, urgent, 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 you've got to take care of this now, now, now. And then what happens? The big things, the important things get put on the shelf. They get set aside. And that's why so many people live their lives always having good intentions of doing the things that are really going to matter, and yet at the same time they come to a point in their life when they go, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I save for my retirement? Because a lot of things were crying urgent. You've got to do this, you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. And some of them are legitimate. You have to spend your money on it. You've got to buy shoes for the kids and that kind of thing. And then some of them are not legitimate. They just feel really, really urgent. Think about with time. So many times we find ourselves saying, where did all my time go? Well, how much time did you look at Facebook? And I didn't have time to read the Bible where you had time for Facebook or Instagram or something like that. And if you had time for that, then you really did have time for the Word of God. Sometimes we uh, waste our time television, for example. Well, I didn't really have time to spend time with the Lord today. Oh, it's been such a busy day. How many hours of television did you watch? How many times did you spend in conversation with someone else that really, when you put it down, was kind of a meaningless, empty, vain thing that really was unnecessary? And if we could ever get to where we could weed the unnecessary things out of our lives we'd find that we have time to do everything that God wants us to do. And uh, there are those situations that are heartbreaking that you really hear about during these days with so many people going in the hospital and people actually dying. And you might hear somebody say when they're planning a funeral, I thought we had more time. I thought I would have the opportunity to say, I love you. I thought I would be able to express how much you mean to me and how much I appreciate you. Well, things can change very, very quickly. A car accident, a disease, any number of things can change all of that because we don't manage our lives very well. Now again, I'm not against leisure and I'm not against entertainment. I'm not against any of those kind of things. But it's just a matter of you need to 
put first things first. And the best way to do that is to understand that there is a God, and this God has created you and everything else, by the way, and this same God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. There's a reason why you can do some of the things that you can do. And there's a reason why there are other things that you can't do. That's the plan of God. There are reason, there's a reason why you know the people you know. And there's a reason why there are billions of people on earth that you don't know and will never know. There's a reason why you live here. And it's not just because grandpa decided to move here or you decided to move here. There's more than that. God is ordering your steps and bringing you here. There's a reason why your neighbors are your neighbors, why that bozo moved in next door to you. There's a reason why you work where you do. All, everything has a reason and a purpose, and we fit into that purpose and that plan, and we don't always know how. But here's the thing, we need to leave here tonight with a sense of the bigness of God, with His control over our life, with His plan and purpose as a sole desire of our heart, so that as we are led by His Spirit, and we understand that our steps are ordered of God, we see an opportunity in everything that comes up. Now, the world doesn't see that because they think that they evolved. They think that they're a mutation. They think that they're an accident. They think that everything is left to maybe fate if they believe in something like that. But it's more like just blind chance and just dumb luck. And they don't really see anything bigger than that. Well, we as the people of God ought to see that. We live in these times and we are living in these times because God put us here. And God put us here for a reason and for a purpose. And there's more to life than just spending time and then just dying and, and going to heaven. While we're here on earth, we have a tremendous opportunity to do the big things that God calls us to do, which are sometimes made up of a compilation of little things that he's given us the opportunity to do. Now, while some of us get so tied up in the urgent things that don't matter and we never do the big things, some of us are so busy looking for the big thing, the next big thing, that we miss the small opportunities that are right in front of us to glorify God, to make a difference in somebody's life. And so worship causes us not just to focus on the petty things that are passing away, but on the God who created everything and who created us and who placed us here, who orders our steps so that we can honor and glorify Him in everything we do. David put it like this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And sometimes doing the big things does boil down to doing the little things, but they've got to be the right little things, not just the ones that scream at us, not just the ones that distract us. I think it was in that uh, cartoon movie Up where they had the dogs, and the dogs are all barking and going on like that, and then one of them goes, squirrel, and then all of them change their attention. That's us so often. And so we can be looking at the things of God, intending to do those things, and then all of a sudden somebody yells squirrel and we are completely distracted and we may not get that opportunity or that time back. So worshipers 
see something, actually someone, bigger than themselves. That's verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. That's uh, talking about focus. That's talking about energy and strength coming from the Lord. And notice that blessedness is not obtained by human effort or energy. I cannot give you a list of things that you can do to make yourself blessed. Blessings only come from the Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, the song says. And so when we want to be blessed, we have to look to the Lord. And we have to understand it's not through holy water, it's not through some ritual that we do or anything like that. It's being right with God and letting it flow through Him. In other words, blessedness is anything done in the strength of the Lord for His glory. And I don't know why, but God has a plan and a purpose. Some of you have tons and tons of friends. Some of you have just a handful. Some of you are wanting more friends. Some of you wish you had a few less. And uh, there are times when needs come up in the lives of your friends. And you may meet that need. And when they say, oh, thank you, that meant so much to, you, to me, you go, oh, oh, no, that was, that was no big deal. No problem. Or something like that that we uh, might say. And uh, I've kind of wondered sometimes when we denigrate ourselves. I know why we do it. Does that also make the person that was thanking us feel like, oh, well, you don't think helping me was any big deal, and maybe we need to think about that a little bit more and not be so casual at putting them off. Maybe it meant a lot more to them than we realize, and the way we express, you're very welcome to that, ought to be in a way that doesn't you know, denigrate them or what they needed. And uh, sometimes you may have some friends that needs some big things done. Occasionally, you might get a call from a friend and they say, we just put my dad in the hospital or my wife in the hospital and uh, I'm scared. It doesn't look good. And then you have an opportunity to do a big thing through the ministry of your presence and praying with them and you can go get them food and you can encourage them and see them through that time. And there are dozens of other things we could talk about. But notice that when you think about what God calls us to do, He never puts the emphasis on the size of the act that we do, but whether we do it for His glory and whether we do it in His strength. And whatever it is we do, it's going to cause blessings to come from God and fall upon us. And so the psalmist talks about worship, seeing God, seeing the bigness, the greatness, and the glory of God, and uh, as we trust God, he displays his strength through just ministry, giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Jesus talked about that. But also through evangelism. I mean, if you plant a seed or water a seed or see a harvest come in, you have just seen a sure enough miracle right there. And that's bless a blessing to be involved in that. Through prayer, it's a blessing to be able to pray for other people. It is a blessing to be able to submit to the Lord and to submit our lives to other people that He puts in our life so that uh, their needs become more important than our needs. And we do what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. We don't look out for our own interests, but for the interest of others. And also, 
through dependence. We like to, I I thought about what Paul Tripp said Sunday night, if you heard it. We like to think that spiritual growth is moving from dependence to independence when he said actually it's moving from independence to true dependence, depending on the Lord and walking with Him. Somebody asked J. Harold Smith one time, a preacher in Fort Smith years ago, if he was a Southern Baptist or an Independent Baptist, and he said, neither one, I'm a Dependent Baptist. Well, that's the way we really ought to be, dependent upon the Lord for everything, everything that we might go through. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, listen to this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that covers it all, doesn't it? You may abound in every good work. Boy, that would revolutionize your life, wouldn't it? Psalm 84, 11, just down a few verses from where we are. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So we're blessed with all spiritual blessings. And if God doesn't provide it, then it's not required. You don't need it. You've got to trust him like that. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And there you find in those verses, that's where the key is, so focused upon God that the other things just don't get you, and they don't distract you, and they don't discourage you, and they don't trip you up. But the devil and his demons know exactly, because they've been watching us, how to trip us up, how to harass us, intimidate us, and get us, get us off track. And that's why we need times of worship so we can focus upon something bigger than us. Because the times when you have the biggest struggle, that's when you're trying to be king, you're trying to be sovereign, you're trying to get your will to be done. And the times of your greatest peace and blessedness is when you are able to die to self and when you're able to look to someone who is bigger than you, who is the blessed controller of all things, and the one that loves you with an everlasting love and gives you the power to do everything that he has called you to do. So that's number one. Secondly, worshipers will let nothing stop them. I mean, if your heart is set on worship, you don't quit and you don't lay out of it because of something else. In fact, notice here, the psalmist said, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. What is a pilgrimage? It's a journey. You're going from one place to another. Well, where are they going? They're leaving home and they're going to the temple. Leaving home and going to the temple. Well, that sounds like a small thing. Well, it probably is a small thing if you live a block or two away from the temple in Jerusalem. But it's probably not such a small thing if you live in Galilee in the, norm, in the northern part of Israel and you have to walk for a day after day after day 
to get to the temple at a certain time for a certain festival, a certain feast. It probably is a big deal when you've got weather conditions that you have to battle during that time. It probably is a big deal if you may be facing robbers along the way and it might be something that is very dangerous or wild animals or any number of things like that. This is what they had to put up with. And the psalmist said that the blessed person, the worshiper, has his heart set on pilgrimage. In other words, he's not going to let anything stop him from obeying God. He's not going to let anything stop him from dishonoring God. This is something that they uh, demonstrate their faithfulness by their obedience in going to Jerusalem to the temple. Now, they didn't do that every week. That would have been an impossible thing before days of automobiles and trains and airplanes and buses and things like that, or even bicycles. Uh, there were three times a year that Jewish males were required to come to Jerusalem to the temple. And that was Passover, the next was Pentecost, and the next was what they called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And these things reminded them of their time in Egypt and the faithfulness of God. And God said, this is a statute, your males shall show up for these particular things. And that's what this psalmist, he's on his way to the temple, probably for one of these things. You could go, of course, at other times, but specifically at these particular times. And so his heart is set on pilgrimage. I am going, and I'm going to lay everything else aside, and I'm going to push through whatever problems may come my way because the most important thing is to get to the temple in order to be obedient to God and to worship Him. Now, thirdly, worshipers refresh others. Now, here's that part about the Valley of Baca or Baca or whatever it is. As they pass through the Valley of Baca, what in the world is that? Okay, full disclosure, we don't really know. Okay, but the word Baca can be translated two different ways. And I looked through about uh, 20 translations today, and almost every one of them translated it as a place of weeping. A place of weeping. Now, it also can be translated like a balsam tree, and they grow in the desert. So we're talking about a place of difficulty, a place of sorrow, and a place where everything just seems to be dry. Going through a desert, something like that. We all go through those things. And the psalmist is talking about when you walk through the desert on your pilgrimage to the temple, what is it that happens? And the next word is very important. It says, they, they, the travelers, the pilgrims, the people on their way to the temple, what do they do in the Valley of Baca? They make it a spring. King James Version says that uh, they make it a well. Uh, they, the rain also covers it with pools. Now, this Valley of Baca, if we think about it as being a dry, desert, arid place, we think about it as being not a place of joy, but a place of weeping. Who has never found their, themselves in a place like that? It doesn't take much. A pink slip from your boss. A child who's on drugs. A spouse that says, I don't love you anymore and I want out of this marriage. Who hasn't been through a place like this? 
Where we want to cry out like Jesus did on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because we sure feel alone. It's that time when we don't feel fruitful. It's that time when we feel parched and dry and we wonder what is going to happen. Trouble and weeping are coming on. Job 14.1 says, Man who is born of woman, anybody here like that? Like so far, we haven't found another way to be born, have we? Man who is born of woman is few of days. I think most of us in here tonight can say amen to that because time has gone by much faster than I ever thought it would. And as I get older, it goes by faster and faster and faster. Can I get an amen on that? Few of days and, op- and full of trouble. So if you're born of a woman, your life is going to go by faster than you ever thought it would or intended for it to go, and you're going to have trouble. You're going to have valleys of Baca in your life. Everybody is. Don't think it's only you, and don't think that other people just have a charmed, easy life. Everybody goes through the valley of Baca. Everybody goes through the desert. Everybody has those times of tears. And when you think about it, These troubled times are inclusive. It includes all of us. You can look around this room tonight and everybody in here has got trouble of some kind and has had trouble of some kind and will have trouble of some kind. There are no exemptions from this. Worship does not get you out of trouble and it's not a... Uh, something that makes trouble go away. This is not a superstitious incantation or paganism that we are going through. This is recognizing the realities and the trials of life and looking at them and seeing them and feeling them and then looking up to the God who has a plan and a purpose for our life even in the midst of our trials and our tears. There's an old song that said, tears are a language God understands, and he certainly does. So it's inclusive. It's also inexplicable. What's the first thing we say when we find ourselves getting that phone call or in that situation? We go, why? Why is this happening? Why did you do that? Why did God allow this? All kinds of whys come up, and we can't come up many times with a good reason. Sometimes we can but other times there seems to be no reason, no cause. They're inescapable. This is something that we're promised by Jesus. In the world you will have tribulation. And they're also, had to stick with an eye here, they're improbable, at least in our minds. There seems to be no good reason for this happening. And everything was great an hour ago. Everything was great a day ago. Everything was great a week ago. Everything was great a month ago. Oh, if I could only go back and have that year again or go back to a certain decade. Boy, wasn't it great and wasn't it fun? Well, you probably didn't like it as much as you remember liking it. We have a tendency to kind of romanticize the past and make the past look so much better than where we are now and that's not always accurate and sometimes we look at our trials and we want to look at them and say there's got to be a reason for all of this and there is in the mind of God but according to Deuteronomy 29 29 there are just some things he doesn't reveal to you but he knows exactly what he's doing And I have a suspicion the old hymn is right. We'll understand it better by and by. But sometimes not now. 
And so we go through all of this, and it seems like I, I never saw this coming. I never thought this would happen to me, and it just is an improbable thing. We've all been in those situations. But what does the Scripture here say that the person does when they're going through the time of weeping and the time of the desert? They dig a well. They make it a place where they tap into the underground spring that can't be seen in the sands of the desert. But as they dig, here it comes. And the water comes up. And you know, that's not only a good thing for you if you're going through the desert. All of us want springs in the desert. We can drink of it and it's so cool and refreshing and so wonderful. But here's the good thing. When you leave it, somebody else is following behind you. It might be your son. It might be your daughter. It might be your grandkids. It might be somebody else in the church. It might be a neighbor. It might be a friend. And that person gets to come through the same desert that you're coming through with one exception. There's a well. There's a place. There's a pool, it says in here, that is ready for them. And they can refresh themselves. And they can drink from it. And you get a blessing out of that. The Lord rewards you because you left something behind in your time of trouble. Now, so many times, as C.S. Lewis said, pain makes us cowardly and it also makes us very selfish. We think we're the only one. We think that everybody is looking at us and judging us. We wonder why God isn't intervening. And God is saying, listen, if you want to really be blessed and you want to honor me and worship me, while you're going through that, that's temporary valley, dig a well and be a blessing for somebody else. Now, it's not always easy digging a well in the desert. And it's hot. It's dry. It takes work. It takes time. But yet it's such a blessing whenever it comes out. So let me just encourage you. You're going through a tough time. Don't just wallow in it. Do something purposeful. Make sure nobody else has to hurt like you hurt. Do something to leave a well behind in Baca. That's why you were there. And God equips you to be able to do that. And fourthly, notice that worshipers are not stagnant. Verse 7 says, they go from strength. Where? Not to weakness, but to strength. In other words, while they are digging that well, it may exhaust them. It may exhaust you. It wears you out. You go, I can't do anything else. But you know something about that? When you're digging and you dig one well and then maybe you dig another well and you're tired, but you'll notice before long that you're actually stronger from your exertion. One of the things that they're having me do with my heart failure is I have to get to the point to where I exert myself enough to build up my strength so I can make it up those steps and also so my heart will work more efficiently, okay? And we all know that. If you played football and the coach made you run bleachers, what is he trying to do? Ruin you and wear you out? No, he's building you up so that your legs don't fail you during the game. And uh, life is just like that. And the Lord puts us through these same things. He says, dig a well. Why do I need to dig a well, Lord? Because somebody else might need it. And it's going to make you stronger as you exert that energy. And so worshipers don't end up being just flat out uh, tired and just worn out 
and no energy or strength. There's something about the worship of God that as the blessings flow through us, and even as we get tired in the work, we don't get tired of the work. And through all of that, God actually brings us from strength to strength. They don't quit, and they see opportunity in troubled times. And that's one of the things that I really want you to think about tonight. Listen to me. Your troubled times bring opportunities that nothing else will. There's a purpose and there's a plan in all of that. Dig a well. Get stronger. And uh, you'll first feel tired, but in time you're going to realize that God's given you strength. And then one more thing. Worshippers see themselves as accountable. And the last part of uh, verse 7 says, Each one appears before God in Zion. And you and I are going to appear before God as well. In the book of Amos, it says, Prepare to meet your God. That ought to be the case for all of us every single day. It's more than just being saved. It's more than just knowing that if something happens, we're going to go to heaven. It's, it's much, much, much more than that. It means that every day, the way that I live my life, I live it in worship. I live it in blessedness. I'm digging the wells for other people to drink from. I'm getting stronger in the Lord. And knowing that this could be the day that I see the Lord. And I don't want to see the Lord, and I don't want you to see the Lord saying, Oh, if I'd only known... If I'd only known I was going to see you at this point, I would have done more in the last part of my life. If only I had known that the Lord Jesus is coming to call this church out, I would have done more. I would have done more. I thought I had more time. And we have a lot of regret and a lot of wasted opportunities. And so this is something that we need to think about that very few people think about anymore. And that is, it's not just about going to heaven but it's about being accountable to God so that at the judgment seat of Christ, when your life is put through the fire, it doesn't come out as wood, hay, and stubble with a bunch of ash that me, that's worthless, but it comes out gold and silver and precious stones. That you'll have something to lay at the feet of Jesus because he's the one who did it and he's the one who deserves all of the glory. And so when we think about worship... What, what, was, what is going on? Are we merely just sitting and getting? Are we getting fat on the things of God but not really using them? Are we just letting it go in one ear and out the other? Or do we have a sense of need and a sense of purpose and a sense of dedication and a sense that whatever it is that I need to do and that God calls me to do, nothing Nothing, nothing is going to stop me and other people are going to be refreshed by me. Other people are going to be blessed by the well I leave behind in Baca. We were in Chelsea, Oklahoma. It was January, cold. Man, the wind was coming 90 to nothing from the north. And you know when you're in Oklahoma, there's nothing between you and the North Pole but a barbed wire fence. And I mean, it was blowing. It was cold, and we had sleet that came down, and it was about an inch, inch and a half thick. It looked like an ice skating rink out there. It was wind chill. I don't even know what it was, and uh, we just kind of knew, well, it's going to be hard for people to get here today, and we probably won't have very many, and uh, so 
we got people settled and got them into a warm classroom and they started Sunday school and I'm down in the foyer and the door opens and this 76-year-old man walks in, Marshall Byler. Marshall's face was red. He was shivering cold and he was breathing hard. He was a heart patient. And I said, Brother Marshall, what in the world are you doing? And he said, oh, Brother Greg, I'm so sorry for being late, but my car wouldn't start. I had to walk. I said, Brother Marshall, you shouldn't be out in weather like this at a time like this. And he put his hand up and he goes, don't tell me that, Brother Greg. And he started to cry. And he said, my Lord went to the cross for me. This is nothing. I want to be faithful to him. I said, Brother Marshall, I wish I had some 30-year-olds that were like you because so many times we quit. And this was a man who was going to come and he was wanting to worship the Lord and wanting to bless other people. And so he dug a well in Baca and he made it there that day. And that's been a long time ago and he's been with the Lord a long time now and yet this guy still remembers it. That's the kind of thing that we want to do to have impact on other people, not just for impact's sake, but for the glory of the Lord. So tonight, would you do something for me? Would you take time now to uh, go to the Lord on behalf of somebody else? Do you know somebody who's going through Baca? They're going through a time of weeping. Well, I don't think that they're crying. Well, maybe they're just in a time of a desert place and they're weary and they're tired. Would you look on your prayer list tonight? Would you think about people that you know? And would you spend some time praying for them? And would you find a way that if you can, you could dig a well for them so that they could drink and they could be refreshed? Would you ask God to give them strength so that they can dig a well? And so they can be refreshed and also refresh somebody else. Because this is not just for us. We want them to get in on the blessings too. Do you know somebody who's about to quit? Their heart's not set on pilgrimage. They're looking for a detour. They're looking for an exit. They're looking for a rest area. And it's going to ruin their life. Do you know somebody who has no sense of accountability? They think it's all about them and their life and their happiness and what they possess, and they don't see anything other than that. Do you know somebody who has gotten to the place in their spiritual life where they may be a good attender, but they're not really focused upon the Lord? Maybe I'm talking to you. Maybe I've described you tonight, and the Lord is stirring up in your heart that you want to be a true worshiper of God and not just a person who puts in his time. There's a better life. There's a better way. And God has it for you. And there's a blessedness that he wants to give you. The blessed one wants to give you those blessings. And he wants to use you to be a blessing to other people. So I'm going to ask you to take some time tonight. We'll go ahead and cut off the live stream here. And uh, thank you all for watching and being with us. But uh, as a church, can we just have a time where we just spend some time in prayer for people who are in the desert of Baca and desperately need a well or they need to dig a well? Would you spend some time?
praying for them tonight. And if it's you, pray for yourself. There's nothing better than getting right with God. So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And let's uh, spend some time now praying. If you want to get a prayer partner, you're certainly welcome to do that. If you want to spend some time by yourself, then uh, have at it. And uh, enjoy your time and your fellowship with the Lord. And we'll be dismissed in just a few minutes. And while you're at it, pray for Awana and for the students tonight as they meet, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Spend some time there. I'll give you some time.